0: Uh, Dave uh, generously asked me to sort of wrap up our study of the Book of Ruth. We've spent four Sundays in the Book of Ruth. And, and I want to say to you, if you have not been here, uh, if you missed one of them or more of them, uh, get the recordings. They're, they're really good. Uh, and Dave, yeah, he just blessed us and challenged us. There's some really good stuff there. And, and the story really builds upon itself. So if you miss one section or one chapter, then you miss a big chunk of it. But... And my opinion is, is that when we do this, when we study like a book of the Bible, especially a short book with only four chapters, it's really important that you understand like the whole flow of what is happening here. Because here's my opinion, that when we study the Word of God, that and we sort of finish a place in the Word of God, and you kind of walk away from it, and you're thinking about the next thing that you're going to look at, the thing that should happen to us is that we should be remembering certain things that we learned in that place in the Word of God and making some application of our life. What are the, why did God write that down? Why did He preserve it for us? Why is it there? Why is it the Bible? Why do we call it the Word of God and what does it mean? What is, and you want to walk away with a few things that you just remember and that anchor you to that place in the Word of God so that whenever you think about it, you think, Oh yeah, that and that and that. And if you don't do that, like what good is it, right? So I want to recommend to you that you do listen to the messages and, and then allow me to share with you some of the things that I walk away from the book of Ruth and that I think about that resonate in my heart. The thing, uh, there's nothing new, but it's things that David had said, but I want to put them in a little different way and tell you why I think They are so important. So when I think about Ruth, I want to tell you about primarily just three things. I always think in terms of three. So, oh, by the way, I was supposed to introduce myself. My name is Carl Palmer. I'm not a pastor here. Hi, Carl. Um, I'm one of your missionaries, and grateful for the privilege. So, but occasionally I get I get to share, and this is home for me. So, thank you for the privilege. So, why is the book of Ruth in the Bible? What was the point? Why did God preserve it for us? What is, what is it that should echo in your mind when you think about this story? So let's rehearse the story really quickly uh, for us because I know some of you probably were not able to be here all four weeks. So if you wanna take your Bible and find the little book of Ruth right after the book of Judges before 1 Samuel, turn it and you can sort of follow along. And let me just sort of recap, if you will, review. The book begins in the town of Bethlehem of Judah which sounds familiar to us. A man and his wife, Elimelech, and a woman named Naomi, and they are living in Bethlehem, and that's where their family and their clan is from, and a famine hits, and Elimelech chooses to leave his home and his family and the place where God had planted him and moved to a place called Moab. And the Moabites were not well thought of by the Israelite people. They were largely idol worshippers and Gentiles and uh, not a great place to go. But that's what he did because he wants to make sure that his family has food. They have two sons. They moved to Moab. And then early in the book it it says Elimelech died. The husband of Naomi dies and then her two sons marry two Moabite women and then both of those guys die also and so now we have three widows living in for Naomi a foreign land and it's not good. So then Naomi gets the word that the famine back in Bethlehem has ended and so she determines she's going to return home to her clan and to her family and where she was raised and so she determines to go home and so they're on their way chapter 1 says they're on their way and the two girls the two daughters-in-law follow along which would be the culturally appropriate thing to do in those days but Naomi turned to them and said go back You know, this is your land, these are your people, you'll be better off there, I can't provide for you, I don't know what's gonna happen here, this is gonna be very difficult for you to be Moabite women in Bethlehem, go back. So Orpah, one of the daughters, not Oprah, Orpah, says, okay, and she goes home to Moab. Ruth says, not a chance. And she declares some words to Naomi that are just some of the sweetest words in all of the Bible. So they go on, and they, they arrive in Bethlehem, and they arrive just at the time, the Bible says, it just so happens that it is the end of the barley season, or in the time of the barley harvest. So then chapter two opens up with Ruth now going into the field to glean, and Pastor Dave explained this really well, that it's, it's the idea that was planted in the Old Testament by God that if you owned a field, uh, what you do is you would leave crops on the edge of the field for the poor people from the town to come and they would glean the leftover like produce or grain so that they would have food to eat. It was a, it was a wonderful and incredible thing. And, and the owner of the field was a man of God and he determined to do this. So Ruth now is going to this field and she's gleaning. She's picking up the sheaves of barley and she's going to take it home to Naomi so that they will have something to eat. The Bible says that it just so happens that the owner of the field comes and his name is Boaz and it points out that he is a man of some reputation, probably of some wealth, perhaps a warrior, perhaps just a man of wealth and significance, a good man who obeyed the law. He appears and he greets his his servants who are working in the field and he blesses them, which again betrays his character, and then he notices this woman gleaning in the edge of the field. And he says, who's that? And they tell her, and this is this Moabite woman who has come, and she's been working hard. And so he goes over to her, and he blesses her. And then he makes sure that she has enough grain, and she tells the guys to leave her a little bit more, and he makes sure that she has enough so that, at the end of the day, when, when Ruth goes back home, she goes back to Naomi, and Naomi says, where'd you get all this grain? And, and Ruth tells her the story, and then she says, whose field was it? And she says, a man named Boaz. And Naomi goes, whoa, Naomi, he, Boaz, is one of our near relatives. He would be a, a kinsman redeemer for us, which would be a man, a relative, who would be obligated that if a widow, if a, a woman loses her husband, that this man, this may be an uncle or some relative, would either marry her or take care of her. And hopefully raise up children so that the land would pass down generation to generation in the name of Elimelech. So it's a fascinating development and it was like a surprise to Naomi. Then chapter 3 opens up and most of this happens on what we call the threshing floor. And so chapter 3 opens up with Naomi saying to Ruth, I'm concerned about you and your future. I don't know what's going to happen to you and I need to make sure you're cared for and, and I have a plan. And her plan was for Ruth to sort of put on her, not her threshing or her gleaning clothes, but some different clothes and go and in the middle of this sort of harvest festival that's going on, go and actually sort of present yourself to Boaz in the night. And we all think, okay, this is like morally, you know, no, you know, it was like actually a culturally appropriate thing to do. So in the middle of the night, you know, Boaz wakes up from sleep and here's this woman at his feet and he's going, whoa, who is this? And she says, I'm Ruth, you know. And then he immediately compliments her and calls her a woman of great character, noble character. It's the same word that's used in Proverbs 31 for a woman of great character. He's not saying you're gorgeous. He's just saying you're a wonderful woman and I know about you and how you care for your, your mother-in-law, you know. And then Ruth does this thing where he's, she basically says... I want you to exercise your responsibility as the kinsman redeemer for Naomi, for the land, and for me. Which, in essence, was a marriage proposal. And Boaz is like, whoa. Uh, But then he compliments her again on her character, and and he says, okay. So then he pours out more grain, you know, more barley to Ruth. And Ruth goes home with this big old bag, you know, full of food and gives it to Naomi. And he he said, yeah. So it's like, whoa, what's going to happen now? And then Naomi says, he'll take care of it tomorrow, because Naomi knows the kind of man he is. So then chapter 4 opens up, and the scene now is the, is the city gate, where all the like legal transactions take place, where you gather the elders together, and if you're going to do like some kind of legal t- transaction or something, you do it there in the presence of all the leaders, you know, and you make it, quote, legal. And it's a very interesting thing, and you need to listen to Dave's message. Cool. So anyway, so all this is going on about the sandal and everything, you know, so you need yeah, listen to the message. So <laughs> anyway, so then what happens is Boaz tells all the elders, you know, I plan on redeeming Elimelech's land and Naomi and Ruth, you know, but there is another closer redeemer and he has a first like right of refusal. He can do this and everybody's head swivels to so this guy who is unnamed, you know, and he says I'll do it and we all go oh no you know and but then he's then Boaz smart Boaz says but if you do this if you get the land then you also get Naomi and you also get the Moabite woman and the woman re, the man reconsiders and says oh I don't know that's gonna impact my estate and what happens now I pass my land down to my children and I don't know if I can bring another two women and you know you know and he says so uh, no you do it so Boaz says okay I'll do it. And so then he redeems Naomi and the land and Ruth. And then the book closes with Boaz marrying Ruth, and they have a little baby. She was never able to have a baby before, now she has a little baby, and they name him Obed. And the book closes with Naomi sitting in a chair, holding little grandbaby, grandson, Obed. And you have to sort of be a grandma, Like, get this, the significance of this, how amazing and sweet it is. Um, And so the book closes with everything, like, reversed. It's fascinating. So then, so what? Like, what do we take away from this? What are you going to remember when you think about the book of Ruth? What, What sticks in your mind? Hopefully some things have stuck in your mind. You've written some notes down. and. And the most important thing, of course, is not just some some facts that you might think about that you understand about the story of Ruth, but the question is, what did God say to you? And what are you going to do about it? Is your life different at all from four or now five Sundays as we focus on the book of Ruth? If it isn't, then, well, change, right? So, like... Regard this as more important because God speaks through his word, right? That's why we study it. That's why we read it. That's why it's important. Is that okay? You agree with that? Okay, so let me tell you the three things that stick in my mind, and I just present them to you as a possibility. And there's nothing new. David has said these very things. Maybe I'll say them just a little bit differently. Uh, But let me tell you the three things that, and I always think in terms of three, um, three things that resonate in my brain. The first one is this. That bitter circumstances do not have to make our hearts bitter. Bitter circumstances do not have to make our hearts bitter. They sometimes do, but they don't have to. Do you remember how when Naomi first comes back with Ruth and they come back to Bethlehem and all the women say, Is this Naomi? And Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And then she says, because the Almighty, that is God, has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Four references to God my life is a disaster I went away full came back empty I lost everything so can you relate to any of this yes have you experienced loss like this it's easy it's easier to read about it but some of you have actually lost your husband or your wife or a child and you you know oh you know how harm, how much this hurts And if you have multiple agonies in your life, then you know how easy it is for your heart to become bitter about it. Naomi had a very hard life. There's no way around it. The question is, what's going on in Naomi's heart while this is being described? Some people, I think we find it a little bit easier to, criti- easy to criticize her, you know, like she's questioning God or she's doubting God or she's turning into an atheist or, you know, or something, because we sometimes tend to do that when the really bad things happen. Where was God, why did this happen? And what I, when I read those words, what I see, and I just suggested to you, is that Naomi is not hiding her pain. She's not, like, saying, Everything is fine. You ever do this, right? You know, you can do it in the lobby. Maybe you did it already. Shame on you. So, I mean, you came in and people say, how you doing? And you say, I'm fine. You know, and in fact, you're really, really hurting bad inside. But you don't have time out there to tell them all that. So you say, fine, that's what we do. Right? So I don't think Naomi is, like, denying how much it hurts. I think she's really, really open. She's not hiding behind some pretend smile. She's not denying her pain. But she keeps coming back to this, what I would call the sovereignty of her God. That she knows that God could have stopped this, and he didn't. She knows that she still believes in her God. She's not become an atheist or an agnostic in this. She's just hurting and she just says, God did it. God allowed it. I don't know if God caused it or God permitted it. You ever wrestle with that one? Did God make this happen or did God permit it? And we go back and forth and the end result is we don't know. But we know that there is a great God in heaven. And I think that Naomi knew it also. That she said, there is a great God and I went away. He let me have this hurt. And it is awful. And my life is bitter. The question is, was she controlled by that bitterness? Was everything now about her bitter heart? Was everything about sort of, everything is so bad, it's like a pity party almost. And when I go on reading, what I see is she immediately begins to invest her life in, the, in caring for Ruth that she's trying to figure out what is the best thing for her daughter-in-law, and she, start, she's, she becomes like this really great mentor, encourager, this older woman who is caring for this younger woman to try to help her and to try to make sure her needs are met, even though her life is full of bitterness. She knows that Ruth also has had this bitter experience of losing her own husband. She also is a widow. So, so no- Naomi is saying, God allowed this great hurt in my life, and now I'm going to care for her my daughter-in-law. So what do I take away from this? I take this away. Life is full of bitterness. Life is full of pain. It's full of struggle and heartache. Some of you are thinking, I haven't had that much. Well, two things. Thank God and hold on. (laughs) Right? Because the reality is, is it's coming. You just have to live long enough. And if it hasn't happened yet, maybe you are also in a little bit of denial about it. but you heard about some things, don't you? And before you die you will heard about more. Because life is full of life is, the life of following Jesus is not like this straight road, you know, with everything's easy, you know, and you're just looking at the scenery and everything's really great. What is life of following Jesus like? It's like up and down, like it's curves and, you know, and it's flat tires and the car broke down, you know, and thing overheated and it blew up and, you know, and there were robbers on the way and, you know, and, right? I mean, that's what life is like. And, and it's unavoidable. You can't escape it, right? You can't say, I'm going to, like, Avoid all this, it just happens. Life is full of bitterness, and bad things, and sorrow, and loss. The question is, what will it do to your heart? The question is not, what does it do to your life? The question is, what what will it do to your heart? What will it do to you, the inside of you, when all these things happen? And sometimes they happen, a bunch of them at once. Have you noticed? I can handle like one bad problem, but you throw three at me, and I'm in trouble. In Acts 14.22, Paul and Barnabas told the Christians, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Truer words are never spoken. We must go through many hardships. But whatever happens, God's people believe and worship and serve a few days ago, Carolyn and I were invited to, uh, to join one of our small groups, one of our church's small group Bible studies. And, and uh, what they did was they first contacted me and said, we're, we're studying the book of Hebrews. You know, every week we're going through the book of Hebrews, and, and we've run into some questions. Well, study the book of Hebrews, you'll know why. So they're studying the book of Hebrews, they're running some questions, and they can can you answer this? And, you know, and I was, I think I was in Nepal when I first got this, you know, and so I wrote them back, said, yeah, you really don't have time now, but when I get back, I was, so and the way it works out, Dan Larson intervened and helped them with that, and they said, we're fine. But then they said, will you come to our group because you're like an expert in Hebrews. And I said, I, studied, I taught that book, and then I op- found my notes, and I, I taught it 21 years ago. And so I had to find my notes to see what I still believed about this little book, and so I went through it, you know, and I, and I read the book of Hebrews that morning, and oh, we, we go to this Bible study, and we walk in, and there's like, I think there's 10, 11, or 12 older women. When I say older, I mean older than me. So which makes them older women and <laughs> and I knew all of them I think I think there's only one or two there's a couple that are not going to our church but you know there was a but they mostly are people and I think they were all widows maybe not all of them but most of them are widows and and so I Caroline and I said we start asking them questions about the group you know uh, cuz I didn't want them to ask me hard questions on Hebrews so I was <laughs> asking them questions about their group and they started sharing with me Uh, about this group, and and one of of the ladies said, who was kind of the leader she didn't want to be, but she is, and so she, she says to me, you know, we have all, all of us, gone through some really bad things. All of us have had some real hard things in our life. And I knew quite a few of them, and I know a few of the stories, but only a glimpse of them over the years, and I knew it was true. And, but then I said, so what do you do? And she says, we study the Bible. Because we know that if we study the Bible, that God will give us what we need to get through some of these hard times and what's happening. Also, we laugh a lot. And I re- we realized that really quickly. They had really good refreshments, and they laughed a lot. So... <laughs> I mean, this group is just, I mean, it's like a fun group, you know. And they're laughing, a lot. there's a lot of joy in the room, you know. And, they, and then she said, we pray for each other. When something happens, we pray for each other. And so, and one bad thing, it just happened that last week to one of them. And we stopped and we prayed for her. You know, we pray for, we study the Bible. We are together all the time. We would not miss this. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. And I'm thinking, what if... We all had something like that. You know? Well, it was just like this rich experience for Carol and me. And, and I just saw again that these women have gone through bitter circumstances. And every one of them would have had a right to say, I am bitter in heart. And they're not. In fact, they're really joyful, wonderful people. You would be just like blessed to be with them. But they've done the whole thing that we do when bad things happen. They ask the question, Why? You ever do this, why? Why God, why this, why now? Why did this happen? Which is a question I rarely ever get an answer to. Why, why, right? And the next question is if, and one of them says, is, so if God is good, you ever heard this one? If God is good, why do you allow this to happen? We have this little mantra that we do, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. So when your son just died, is God good? See, they experienced it, they know it. And they don't like the hard things. They didn't like any of them. They were not saying we really enjoy the hard stuff that happens to our life. This is really a great blessing in our life that we're in so much pain. They didn't didn't say that. They, They study the word of God, they love each other, they pray for each other, and they are together as family for them. When we read the first few verses of the book of Ruth, we discover that pain is something that God allows. We see it again. We see it all the way through the scripture. You've seen it in your life, haven't you? This is something that God allows. Sometimes you wonder if God did it or if God just allowed it and you don't really know. But Naomi is in great pain and Ruth is in pain too. But the thing that we know is that pain is for a while. What does that mean? It's going to end someday. You know that, don't you? Can you imagine A life with no pain, no heartache, no struggle, no separation, no tears. It's boggling to think about it. And it's coming, my friends. Read the last two chapters. It's coming for you. You know that? I hope you know it today and believe it. See, these women believe that the glory of God is not diminished by the fact that they've gone through real hard time and pain. They're not blaming God. They have some questions that are not answered, they would like to have answered, but they're not being answered and so what do they do? They submit and they worship and they love each other. And they take their rightful place at the feet of Almighty God. That's what we do as the children of God. Have you noticed this? Have you lived long enough to recognize that some of the older people, you know, they've gone through some real difficult times. You know some people have had some real heartache and struggle, and they have become bitter. And they question whether or not the stuff that they learned and believed, they question this, and they question God, and they, they're just not sure. They, you know, and they become weak, and they're hard to be around. And have you noticed there's some older, other older saints, some of them are not older, there's some that are just like, they're even young people, gone through some real difficult time, and they are just a, they're like a joy to be around, right? They're like they've discovered this thing that God gives a Peace that passes understanding, and God actually pours out love in the heart and gives joy when we never expected. And, and so they look back in their heart and say, they they say honestly, say, I wish it never had happened. It really hurts me. But let me tell you what I know. And they're like anchored to something. They stand firm. They're different. Their heart does not become bitter. They have bitter times, bitter circumstances, bitter pain, but their heart has not become bitter because something else has happened to them. There's some, what is it that, what does that? I want to make two suggestions to you. First one is doctrine. Isn't that a great word that we don't use much anymore? Doctrine. What is doctrine? It's truth. Doctrine is truth. It's the body of truth. This doctrine about God and about suffering and about difficulty and about pain and about the presence of the Holy Spirit and about the plan of God and how this has been happening for generations will continue to happen before God wraps it up. And it will always happen and someday God will end it and God has given to you more blessings than curses and you have more reason to rejoice than to weep. And these are the things that people hold on to this truth And it anchors their soul in the time of pain. Doctrine, the other one is faith. They choose to believe God again today. Does it take away the pain? No. They choose to believe God in the pain, through the pain. Not always because of the pain, but in the midst of the pain, they still believe God and their mind goes back to the one who suffered for them. And they think, this has always been the lot of God's people. Now it's my turn, what will I do? Will I respond differently than the world responds to this kind of pain? Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, your grief and your trials refine your faith like gold. Paul wrote in Romans 5: Suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character leads to hope. I want to be somebody who perseveres. Do you? Do you want to be somebody who stands firm in difficulty, who perseveres, who finishes strong, who doesn't give up, who doesn't wilt their way to dying? Right? You want to be somebody like that? You want to persevere? How do you learn to persevere? Do you learn to persevere when everything's going really, really well and there is no no problems or difficulties or pain or loss? Were those the times when you grew the most? No. We ought to have it figured out by now. So I want to say to you, God bless you. Pain's coming. For some of you, pain's already here. The question is, what's happening to your heart? Where's your doctrine? What do you believe? And do you believe again today? You See this faith thing has gotta be like every day. Have you noticed? Every day, every day, every day. Okay, second thing, took too long there. I have an hour and a half, right? Oh, okay. I was talking to Allie afterwards in, in, the, in, in the lobby, and she says, so how do you think it went? First, hour?" And I said, I, I was great, You did, it was great, it was really good, I really enjoyed it. And, you know, and then I made the mistake of saying, so, you got anything for me? And she said, no. Well, she said, well. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying, I'm trying, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, the second one is this, faster now, listen faster. The second thing this story of Ruth reminds me is that great love is a commitment. It's a choice of commitment. It's fascinating to me that the word, we call this a love story, and it is a love story. Loss, love, and legacy. It's a love story. It's a beautiful love story, and we we remember it as a love story. But the fascinating thing is that the word love is never mentioned in the book, except one time, way towards the end, where the women in Bethlehem are looking at Naomi and said, you got to daughter-in-law who's better than seven sons to you and she loves you the only time the word love is mentioned in the whole book there's nothing anywhere else we think did boaz love ruth oh sure he did doesn't say does ruth love boaz oh yes you know does naomi love ruth oh yes did ruth love naomi oh sure of course doesn't say there's nothing like nothing particularly about any kind of emotions involved in the whole thing but when you read chapter 1, and they're on their way back, remember, to, to Bethlehem, and Naomi's saying, go back, go back, go back. And Ruth said, no, I won't go back. I won't, there's no chance. And, you know, and here's, here's about If I were writing this story, I would have written the story. I would say, and, and Ruth turned to Naomi and looked into her eyes and said, Naomi, I love you. Of course I'm going to come with you doesn't say that. What it says is that Ruth said to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die and I will be buried there. What is that? That's a choice of commitment. That's love. Isn't it? I've been to weddings where we use that right, Hus- between husband and wife, right? It's a great demonstration of love. The problem today is that if people use, we use the word love in a whole bunch of different ways. I love pizza, you know? I love good coffee in the morning. I have a fairly new car, it's only a year, I love my car. My wife is not so enchanted with my new car, but I love it, it's great. It Starts every morning. I like a pickup and a car at the same time. Cost me a lot of money. You'd really like, it. I'll show it to you in the parking lot if you want. So I'll tell you why I like it so much. It's great, you know. I love this car. So, what is that? Interesting the way that we use the word love there, right? So is it that? I love, is that, I love pizza kind of love? Now, this is a choice of commitment, right? Whatever happens, I'm with you. I'm going to stick with you. I'm not going to turn away from you. I'm going to be with you. Where you die, I will die. Your God is my God. I am with you. I'm committed. This is a commitment, a choice of commitment. My friends, this is what love is. If you have somebody in this world who turns to you and says, I love you, you're stuck with the problem of trying to figure out what that means, right? <laughs> so, you love me, so... So what? Like, what are you going to do about it? Like, what does it mean? You know? Is it, about your, is it about your way you feel about me? Is it about what I do for you? Is it affection? Is it desire? Is it about pleasure? Is it about what I can do for you? Is it about how I will perform for you? Is it about how I look? What is it? What is this love thing? And I want to say to you, there is such a thing as a great love. And this is what God has called us to, a great love. He's called God's people to a great kind of love. For Ruth, it was a choice. It was a decision. Not to remain in bitterness and loss for her own husband, but to make a choice of commitment to her mother-in-law. And it's a staggering choice of commitment it's a determination if you will a commitment to follow and be with Naomi and to care for her until she died so what is love isn't it fascinating that the bible doesn't like tell us okay this is love let me explain to you what love is you know like no place that does that it, there is a place that we call it the the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, you remember that one? It's interesting that 1 Corinthians 13 doesn't say anything about how love feels. It all talks about what love does. Right? And then in First John it says, In this is love, God gave his only Son. Oh, that's a closer definition of love. And then First John even says like this, God is love. But what is love? How does God love? Does God love you like he loves pizza? (laughs) Finish it up and throw it out? Or has he made a choice of commitment to you that required paying a sacrifice, paying a great price? And by the way, when will this love thing that God has for you draw to a close? When you mess up enough, and you do, when you are no longer quite as attractive as you used to be, when you haven't performed quite as well as you would like to perform, when you haven't done enough, given enough, served enough, loved enough, right? When you've stumbled with the people that you do love, what happens to his love? great love is a choice of commitment one more thing and david said this he said it every week and i want to say it again to you here's the way i would say it god is always working behind the scenes to carry out his plan for the world and for us he's always working behind the scenes Dave has taught us that this is one of the primary messages of the book of Ruth, and I want to repeat it to you. This is one of the primary messages of the book of Ruth. God is at work, and we don't see him working. So many times we don't see him. Sometimes we do, and we think, whoa, God's doing something. You know, I love this little phrase that people use sometimes, God showed up. Can I say, don't use that one? I mean, I don't know about you, but that trips me up. Let me see. Hey, God has like showed up all the time. You're just like not aware of it, you know. But it's a way that we describe that God did something and we saw it, right? So it's okay. I'm sorry. I repent of telling you that. Um, It'll still bug me if you use it, but go ahead. So the little book of Ruth tells us that God is at work all the time. And one more time, there's nothing in the book of Ruth that says God is doing this and God is doing that. In fact, God is not even mentioned except some of the people refer to God and call him certain names, Jehovah and Almighty. And, but God, it never says God led Boaz to the field and God opened up the heart of Naomi and God did this and God did that. It doesn't, just doesn't say that. But when you look at it, you see it everywhere, right? What it says is it just so happens that Boaz showed up, right? It just so happens that this was time of the barley harvest. Or uh, the old King James word is behold. I don't know if you still read the King James Bible, but behold. And you find it all the way through the King James Bible. Behold. What it means is surprise. God showed up. Right? And now he's like doing stuff. Or behold, listen to this, right? In the loss. In the bitterness, in the pain, is God at work? Is God at work in the good and the bad? Is it true that all things work together for good? Some of you have had experiences. Some of you have come to me after a sermon and said, where was God when this happened to me? And you caught me every time. My first response is, I don't know. And then I think about it. And then I say, he was right there with you in this. And he was in pain too. My friends, you cannot escape this in this life. So what will you do? You recognize that God is at work in ways that you see and that God is at work in ways that you cannot see. Naomi, who had experienced such sorrow and such brokenness. I love the way in which the book... Like sets things, turns things like right side up. He reverses the emptiness and, and you end with Naomi in fullness. But Naomi always had this heartache of losing Elimelech and losing her two sons. That would have taken, she would have gone to her grave with the pain of that. But when you look at where Dave left off last week, I think it was verse 16. With Naomi holding this little baby boy, this little grandson that she thought she would never ever see a grandbaby. And here she's holding little Obed in her lap. And we would end the story there. But interestingly enough, it doesn't. It closes, it actually closes with this like little genealogy that tells us God is up to something more, right? That God has been we, working through the life of Naomi and, you know, and, and Ruth and Boaz and the arrangement of all those kind of things. God has been working and they've been, they've been responding and doing their thing and, and And then, chapter 4, the book ends with the word, what? What's the last word of the book of Ruth? David. 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 Huh? David. This is generations before David was ever born. This book was written while David was king. Fascinating, isn't it? That When you look at this, what you do is you look at the first few verses and there's a hint. The hint is the little phrase, Bethlehem in Judah. Bethlehem, hmm, that sounds vaguely familiar. Bethlehem, 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 right? The last word of the book is David. And then you begin to realize, well, David is the forerunner of the Messiah, the great king. There's a great king coming that will fulfill the the kingdom of David, right? For the world... And he is born, where is he born? Bethlehem, the Christmas story. You remember the story, right? Joseph takes Mary and they go down to Bethlehem, which was the town of David. Why was it the town of David? It was the town of David because it was the town of David's father, Jesse. It was the town of David because it was the town of David's grandfather, Obed. It was the town of David because it was the town of David's great-grandmother, and great-grandfather, Ruth, and Boaz. And then you get this clue. Okay, something else is going on here, right? Something like under. Do you think that you think that Naomi is like rocking Obed thinking, you are gonna be the great grandfather of the great king? <laughs> you think? She had no clue, right? She didn't know. Like, you're gonna have a son. He's gonna be the father. Jesse, you have David. It's gonna be, and and it will lead to the Redeemer. So, what is this greater thing that's going on here? It's a picture of the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer. What is that? It's this whole idea that somebody would be part of your family and would come after you in your great loss, and he would pay a price and make a sacrifice and purchase you for himself, and you would be redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. See, it's a picture, it's a four picture, of you will, of the coming of the king who would be the coming, the picture of the coming of the great redeemer who is coming. And by the way, that great redeemer came because of the great love of God And that great Redeemer weeps for sadness and sorrow and weakness and pain. And he gave himself to heal you. And some of the healing's not coming in this world, but it's coming, my friends. Oh, it's coming. He is your Redeemer. And he loves you. He loves you. It's not that He feels all warm and fuzzy about you. He might. But he loves you. He made a decision of commitment, like his father did, to come and pay the price that you needed paid. He loves you. So what do we do? Oh, we remember, right? We remember that pain and sorrow and difficulty does not have to control our heart. Something else has got to control our heart. Well, we believe in who we are and who is the king who has come for us. God's design for us is a love relationship. One of the things you ought to think about when you think about Ruth is the same thing that is portrayed in so many different ways in the word of God, that this thing that God has done for you is a love relationship. And it's not a love pizza relationship. It's a love, devotion, commitment to you forever, for your life, for every pain and sorrow and difficulty, for everything that's happened to you, everything that will happen to you. It's a love that's gonna carry you right into death and beyond. It's a love that you will only fully understand when you get to glory. I don't think it will fully understand it then. So what do we do? We love. We love. Don't we? We're the lovers. We are the people who love. We are the people who love people. We are the people who love our family, our wives. We are people who love each other. We are people who love the world. And why do we love? We love because he first loved us. We love because, say it with me, he first loved us. Thank God. We have a God like that. He loved because we first, he, he, loves us because now we can love him. So we, one more time, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. And I want to say to you again, my deep belief, I've changed over the years, my deep belief is that the Lord's Supper is not primarily a ritual of somberness, but it's primarily something of celebration and gratitude. I think we get the somber thing from the fact that we want to remember his suffering, and that is somber. There's no way around it. The pain, the agony, the suffering he went through, the great, incredible pain he went through to suffer. And, and we remember, and we, and we tend to think that that's what the bread and the cup is about, and it, and it is. It is. But it's also the bread of life and the cup of joy. And I can't imagine the, those early Christians taking the Lord's Supper and sitting around in all somberness and soberness and thinking about his suffering only. What do you think they thought about? He's alive. He's alive and he did it for me and he loves me and guess what? The future's looking really good. Oh, we may die, but the future's looking really good. Right? So you love because he first loved you. Do it during communion. You can do that, you know? You can walk up here and thinking in your mind, I'm doing this because he first loved me. That would be good let's pray So, father help us we need it one more time I know there are people here who are having a lot of hurt and bitterness and Lord I pray that you would be the comfort and healer for them and that you'd not allow my words to hurt them more but father we are also people who have experienced immense incredible good gifts from your hand And we're headed toward a time when we will see you face to face. Father, I thank you. I give you praise. That's all I can do. It's all we can do. Is to say thank you for loving us first. And we're so grateful that your love is a choice of commitment. That never ends. And has power to see us through everything that happens in this life. And we thank you that one day you're going to fix it all meanwhile we look forward to a time when jesus said next time i do it with you i will do it in the kingdom of heaven we long for that great marriage supper of the lamb so help us now to be serious and to be seriously joyful for what you've done for us as we take the bread and cup and remember again the master who gave himself for us. In his name we pray, amen.